All right, guys, welcome to the show, Raise the Riffs. Uh, we got a great show today. Alan Lee said he was going to swing by the Zoom thing, but I have not heard from him. He's probably at work. Uh, so Alan Lee may or may not show up. Uh, that's up to him. Uh, but we got to carry on the show. We got a great show. Uh, you've seen him in movies like A Christmas Story, The Toy, and Kidco. The great Scott Schwartz. He's doing this. Raise the riffs via Zoom. And we're going to have him. Uh, this is a good time to subscribe, rate, and review to the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're working on getting on Spotify and Anchor right now. And all that jazz. We should have done this when this all when we first started, because now we're playing catch up. But I think when we first started, it was iTunes, and then iTunes did this weird uh, thing. I don't know, because uh, it seems like there's so many uh, apps that we're uh, trying to catch up on. But we're still doing it. We're still making it rain, and we're still uh, living the dream. All right, I'm just texting Scott, letting him know we're ready to rock, or I'm ready to rock and roll. Uh, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts. Send us some love if you like it. Follow us on social media at Razor Riffs. You can also book me on Cameo, www.cameo.keithraza.com. I'm only $5 right now. Uh, with this quarantine, I feel very, very cheap, and I feel I'm worth it. So book me. Scott's also on Cameo. We'll, we'll talk to him, see how that plays out. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. All right, Rifters, do the right thing. Follow us and enjoy this interview with the great Scott Schwartz. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee, right here on LA Talk Radio. All right, excellent. So, Scott, thanks for doing the show, man. Sorry no, we couldn't do it. it in the studio, but Sam's got it locked up. Sam's got it locked up, man. I, I feel, I feel for the man. Sam's yeah. a good dude, man, and 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 I, I love the the setup in LA Talk Radio. You know, if I lived a little bit closer, I'd probably have a regular show, but I'm just far enough that, you know, an hour plus getting down there, an hour plus back because there's always traffic, you know. Yeah. Uh, the Sherman Oaks traffic on a yeah. Woodland, right? Is that Woodman. Woodman, yeah. It takes me like 20 minutes just to get off that freeway. It's like. Uh, yeah, it's a pain in the behind. <laughs> So how how many uh, like because you you were on a radio show there like you're a co-host how many like have you ever gone to a done your real radio show just you? Uh, a couple of times, you yeah. know. Um, I mean I enjoyed it, you know. Yeah. Uh, and would definitely could see myself doing it again. It's just the logistics of the whole thing and whatever. And I guess I could do it from my house now. Everybody's doing you know. 
you know, zooms, zooms and all this stuff. But then I got to get a class on how the hell to set it all up. So, you know, know. I'm not, I'm not young like you, you, you catch on like this. I'm an old guy, you know, know, it makes fun of me because this is the first Android phone I've, I've ever owned. And up until 2018, I had a Blackberry. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I like that phone though. It's blue. So, you know, Hey. Oh, that's just the cover. It's a Galaxy uh, <laughs> Seven, whatever. This is just the the, the twelve dollar cover I got at an antique store in Kentucky that fit. But no, like I guess my question is because like you started with acting, and then I know you did a little uh, stand up for a while, and now mm-hmm. radio. Usually, it's like the roles are reversed. You know what I mean? Stand up, radio, acting. You know what I mean? Hey, well. But I started as a kid, so yeah, you know, yeah. that's just how it all started. And uh, but I mean, everything is an experience, and it's all—it uh, just all adds to your education. You know, yeah. I mean, the acting gave me a certain amount of confidence in front of a camera, in front of a microphone. And I mean, I started—I was doing commercials. I did Broadway, Off Broadway, voiceovers, all that kind of stuff. Then you do the movies. Uh, so doing stand-up was just kind of a. Uh, it was something that I, I always, I don't know if I want to say wanted to do. It was just something that kind of just happened. Right. Um, but, you know, having a mentor like Richard Pryor, it's really hard not to do stand-up, you know. And uh, I had done it for a little bit. And uh, there was a night at the comedy store, you know, I mean, in my opinion, maybe one of the greatest nights ever there that just kind of happened. It wasn't planned, you know. Uh, it was a Monday night. I'm working the main room as a doorman, and Richard Pryor was coming in. Richard's coming in. Okay. So I told one of the, the waitresses, I said, hey, when Richard comes in, let me know. I go say hi. She's like, okay. So Richard had come in. She comes and she tells me he's in the back in a little green room area. I go in the back, and it's Richard and his wife, Jennifer, Robin Williams, and Sam Kinison. Wow. And me, the five of us. Okay. So we talked for a few minutes, and now it's time for Richard to go on. So what's my job? I'm a doorman. Okay, fine. So I open him holding the door. So now if you could picture this, if you walk straight out and you go all the way down to the end of the hallway and you go to the left, that's where you go to watch the show. But if you walk out of the door and you make a quick left, that's the back of the main room stage. Right. So I'm holding the door. Sam walks out and goes to the left. Robin goes out and goes to the left. Jennifer walks out and goes straight dead ahead because she's going to go watch the show. And I'm holding the door and Richard looks at me and he says, what are you doing? I said, well, actually, I'm on the clock. I'm making my 35 bucks tonight. You know, and he laughed. He says, no, no, you're you're off for a few minutes. Come with me. And he literally pulled me by the shoulder to the left. And we go through the main room to the main room back of the stage. So there's a curtain there, two little steps. He and I sit on the back of the steps and it's Robin and Sam Kinison. Wow. And they're and they just are just going already. And they did about 25, 27 minutes. Sam turns around and hands Richard the microphone. And I mean, you know, we're only six, eight feet behind them. Right. So now it's Robin Williams and Richard. And they're doing their thing. And Sam is sitting next to me. And we're dying. I mean, it was just, it was all over the place, man. So again, it's like another 20, 25 minutes. And Robin gets done, and Richard's talking to somebody, and Robin turns around, and he hands me the microphone. And I looked at Robin Williams, and I said, and what exactly would you like me to do? He goes, he goes that's your boy. Go get him. 
<laughs> I'm like, really? He's like, go get him. Like, okay. So I take the mic and Robin and Sam are sitting behind me. And I walked up and Richard was looking the other way, talking to somebody. He turns around, he sees me standing there and he goes, oh, you want some of this? And I just kind of shook my hands. I was like, sure, whatever. Well, he begins to tear into me like you have no idea. I mean, it's every short Jew dick joke. I'm sorry if that's if this isn't adult. I, you know, I apologize if anybody gets insulted or whatever. <laughs> so he is just tearing me a new behind like you have never heard. I mean, he's just going on and on. I didn't say a word, man. He went on for four or five minutes. I didn't say anything. I just stood there and took it. And he looks at me and he goes, you got nothing to say? And I said, well, if you'd shut the fuck up, maybe I say something. Well, then it's on. And I start going at him. And I mean, I'm the crowd is loving it. Robin and, and Sam are literally crying because I'm tearing into him like nobody's ever. It, it's all in good fun, of course, you know. Yeah. Well, we did about 20 minutes. And finally, Richard's like, okay, I'm done. I had enough. So everybody comes up, they take a bow, we get off the stage. Sam comes over to me. He's, you did great, man. Robin comes over and he grabs me by both my cheeks and he kisses me on the forehead. And he goes, you were beautiful, beautiful. And, and at that point, uh, Richard comes over and he looks at me and he says, yep, it's true. You are the white son I never had. Oh, that's awesome, man. And, and so that really, that gave me a much more of a jolt of confidence that I could get up and do it, you know? Yeah. You know, and well, I see, had many, many fun nights there. When, it, but like, also, you also had that relationship with Richard because you did the toy with him. You know, oh, this was yeah. Well, we were we were close friends the whole time. Yeah. So like you that know. that probably like was must have been like major confidence just by like, hey, I worked with this guy before. Like, you know, you know what I mean. You 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 feel like comfortable. You could spitball a little. I'd been at his house the day before, <laughs> so uh, he he only he lived. Uh, about 12 minutes away from me. And yeah. when I first moved to LA, uh, he had closed up Indigo Production, his production company. He had moved uh, from the one house that he had up on Parthenia. He had sold the Maui house. So I didn't have his phone number for a couple of months. Right. But I kind of had put out an APB on him. You know, somebody sees Richard, you got to let me know. And uh, as soon as we reconnected, that was it. I mean, I, I was over the house two, three days a week and he took me places and, you know, went on the set of coming to America and all kinds of fun stuff that we did together. And so we were, we were very, very close anyway. So it wasn't like there wasn't anything that I could possibly say that would insult him, yeah. you know, and there wasn't anything that he could say that would insult me. Yeah. So that, that, that's, what's awesome about that story because like I work with Norm a lot and like, I think like now, him and I have that relationship, but like if I'd never worked with them before, and I, I think it would just be weird, you know what I mean? Like, oh, mm. roast battle. <laughs> of course, yeah. No, when when you when you share life with somebody, you know, and I don't mean actually physically live with them, but I mean spend enough time with them where you don't talk about work. You talk about the family and you talk about your friends and you talk about what's going on and whatever's on the TV is on the TV, you know, and if it's lesbian porn, it's lesbian porn. It's like, whatever, yeah. you know, and that was Richard, you know? Um, so we, we had a really, really, I mean, I don't even call it really a close relationship. We were family. I mean, he was my, my, he was my muse, my older brother, 
my my best friend. I mean, you know, one of my best friends. So the uh, the insight that he gave me to comedy, timing, life. There wasn't a topic that was off the table. You know, we could talk about anything. Yeah. Now, when you when you were a kid doing these movies uh, with Richard, uh, did you like feel like, hey, that's the type of artist I want to be? Or like, how were you? Because you were still young. You know what I mean? Like, how did you work your mindset through that? Um, you know, I never thought about it in that context. Okay. I was just an actor doing a job. I mean, you know, I've done Broadway and Operate, so I've done other things. I've never done a film, but, you know, I've been in front of the camera, and I was a fan. I knew who Richard was. I knew who Gleason was. And so uh, I wasn't a kid, you know. By the time I was, you know, 14 years old, 13, 14 years old, I was an adult mentally. Yeah. You know, I, I really I, – I ran my own show. You know, there are many kids and the parents have to talk to this one or the parents. No, that wasn't me. You know, yeah. if I had something to say, I just went to producer, director, co-stars, whatever. Uh, so I was definitely mature for my age. I was always I was around adults before I started in show business, you know, yeah. quite a bit. So I wasn't the giggly. <laughs> no, I was never like that. You know, yeah. you strike so, me as, as someone who's very. Because I know you a little bit, but, you know, I'm thinking of you as a kid. You strike me as someone today as who's very professional on the point. Let's get a good job done. I think that was how you were as a kid, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, it, it was a job. You go there prepared. You, you got to know what you're doing. You know, yeah. if you go onto a job unprepared, forget unprofessional. You're just an idiot. <laughs> you know, um, you know, and yet uh, my my shooting of the toy, the first day of shooting was me and Gleason in the back of the Rolls Royce when he's taking me back to the military, you know, to the plane back to military school. And uh, this is my first movie. Yeah. I've done Broadway, off Broadway commercials. They're very dialogue driven. You say what's on the page. Well, Gleason wasn't like that. He ad lived everything. Really? Wow. Yeah, he ad-libbed everything. So he threw me off. I knew the whole script. I knew everybody's lines. But he threw me off. So the first day of shooting was a disaster. I almost got fired. <laughs> you know, the, the the producer, Phil Feldman, one of the two producers, it was him and Ray Stark. Uh, Phil Feldman brought me back to what we called base, which was basically our motel. And uh, he called my dad and he's like, hey, and he's sitting there on the speakerphone. And he's like, hey, something's wrong with your kid. He doesn't know his lines. And my father thought he was kidding. Right. You know, and he's like, no, he just ruined a whole day worth of shooting. If this happens again, the next time we're going to let him go, send him home, get somebody else. And yeah. my father's like, wait a minute, there's something got to be wrong here. You know, so he got me on the phone. He's like, what's up? And I said, dad, he's not saying what he's supposed to be saying. My dad's like, fine. I just, we'll talk later, you know, whatever. We'll fix it. Okay. So he tells Phil, I'll be fine, whatever. I talked to him for a few minutes afterwards. He called me in, in the room and he's like, listen, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not important what he says. Just when he shuts up, you say your line and that's it. Okay, fine. And then at, right around dinner time, Richard Pryor called me and said, come over to my room. And we had already been friendly and been chatting and whatever. And we had a great conversation for about 15 minutes. He goes, okay, stop. What did we just do? I said, well, we having a conversation. He says, no, we're ad-libbing. You say something, I say something in response. You say something, I say, that's how this goes. 
that's what true professionals do that have experience. Yeah. You don't have that experience. So this is going to be the quick lesson. I said, okay. He goes, tomorrow you're not scheduled to be on the set. Come to the set anyway. Stay with me and watch me tomorrow. Okay. That's what I did. The following day I was back on the set and I was with Richard. We zipped it. No problem. Everything was fine. So of course they tell me, you know, you're fine, kid. You're not going anywhere. You're our, you're our kid. And you know, whatever. Okay. But again, it was Richard who gave me the confidence and kind of taught me the ins and the outs and what to do, what not to do and, and how to follow along. And probably about 10 days after we started shooting, I was ad living right along with him. Now, when you, when you started off Broadway and then you did a movie like that, and then you like, it seemed like your mind just totally switched with ad libbing. Like, okay, we could do this in movies, but you probably couldn't do that in Broadway. How did you like adapt to that? Um, I was always pretty good on my feet, so to speak. Uh-huh. You know, you kind of tell me which way you want me to go and I can do it. Um, it, it really started at my screen test. Okay. Uh, I was supposed to be with Rich. Richard was supposed to be doing the reading at my screen test. He wasn't there. There was another black actor. Um, his name is Norman Gibbs. You wouldn't know his name if I held a gun to your head, but yet you know who he is. If you held a gun to my head, I would say, yeah, I know who that guy is. <laughs> nah, you wouldn't know him. He's he's the thin jive guy in Airplane. Yeah. Okay. So I did the reading with him. I said, you know, you look familiar. He gave me a bunch of things. I said, no. Then he said, well, I did this comedy. I don't know if you've seen the name Airplane. Well, that was it. I was a fanatic. I loved Airplane. I knew all the dialogue. I knew all the jive talk, the whole thing. So I start doing it with him. And he just cracked up and we were doing it together, whatever. He went and told Richard Donner, the director, hey, this kid's out of his mind. He's incredible. He does this. He did. Okay, fine. So we got on the set and I'm doing my dialogue and they had kind of set up a staircase to come down and we were doing the dialogue from the, that they had given us. Yeah. So I did it a couple times and Richard Donner goes, okay, forget the dialogue, do it in jive talk. So now I was just making stuff up, yeah. you know, and he's responding and we went back and forth. We did it that way a couple times. Then Richard Donner's like, okay, forget that. Just tell jokes now. I'm 13 years old. Okay. Yeah. Now, 13 years old, you only really know one kind of joke unless you're uh, very vanilla. You know, dirty jokes. That's all right. I knew. Yeah. You know, so I come down a staircase and, you know, I started off, you know, what's the difference between a rooster and a hooker? A rooster says cockadoodle do. A hooker says any cock will do. <laughs> That's my first joke. Well, they realized right then and there. I would be just fine and I could stand with Richard doing whatever he said and Gleason with whatever he said, let the kid go and he'll be fine. And that's what we did. Yeah. Now, uh, I would, I would probably say you were in a lot of the toy, but I think Kidco, you were probably in more of that. Like, what was that? 98%. Yeah. You're, you're probably in every scene in Kidco. So like, what, what was that where, where it's like, where you're, taken more of the pizza you know what i mean like how did you um well it's not only taking more of the pizza but there were other i guess you'd say mitigating circumstances so to speak right i booked the film okay fine i mean i got the script down 99 percent. there's one scene that i was getting i would just i would just keep hitting a, a blip i kept hitting that speed bump and whatever 
But needless to say, <clears throat> we did the uh, the table reading, uh, and we we were already on the set in Tucson, and uh, we had a uh, like a ten and a half week shooting schedule. Eight and a half weeks into the shooting, the toy was opening in the theaters. Yeah. And I had to be done because I got to go on promo and they want me to go on this show and on that show and all the PR stuff. So we did the table reading and I asked the director and producer to hang out for a minute. I wanted to talk to him. So it's David Niven Jr. and Frankie Blondes, who are the two producers who have 70 years of experience between the two of them. Ron Maxwell is the director and he had done the Night's Delights went out in Georgia and a whole bunch of other things. And then he did Gettysburg later on. Terrific, terrific director. Right. The first AD, my dad and me. I sat down. They said, okay, what's up? And I said, listen, the shooting schedule doesn't work for me. We, we got to be out of here in eight and a half weeks. I don't have 10 and a half weeks. I got a movie. You know, I got PR to do. They threw me out of the room and they were panicking that I was, you know, going to be trouble and this doesn't happen and all this. So they tell my dad this stuff. And my dad's like, listen. You don't know my kid. He just spent four months with Pryor and Gleason. He really, truly believes he's Godzilla. Yeah. So right now he's secretariat. Just get on his back and ride him to the finish line. And they're like, oh, my God. They, they thought my father was nuts. So they get me back in the room. They said, okay, uh, shooting schedule. What, what do you want to do? And I said, well, if we open it up and look at it, why are we shooting at the house on this day? And then four days later, we go and, you know, come back and this and that. And they're like, oh, my God. I actually had an answer. They, right. they It was kind of sitting at the poker table. They were thinking I was bluffing, but I really wasn't. So they said, uh, okay, have at it. They all left other than me and the first AD. And we went through the whole shooting, ske shooting schedule, moved things all over the place. Needless to say... I was working anywhere from 10 and a half to 14 hours a day, six days a week. And believe it or not, we wrapped shooting Kidco on the day the toy opened in the movie theaters, two weeks early. Oh, that's awesome. Never so you got happens. to do the, the press for the toy too. I did get to do the press for the toy. Not as much as they had said they were going to do, but as they say in life, shit happens. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, I'm in 98% of the film, and, I mean, there were scenes where we're doing stuff, and uh, the uh, the courtroom scene, the big dialogue thing that I have, and I'm pacing back and forth, they had that whole scene planned for two days. Wow. Well, again, I mean, I'm 14 years old. My pickup in the morning was supposed to be 7 o'clock. I told the, the driver to pick me up 6.30. I go to the set early. I grab my coffee. I grab my bagel. I take the cameraman, and we go to the set. The dolly track isn't even laid down yet, nothing. I said, listen, just follow me to get my timing. Get my pace and get my timing. Okay. We were several weeks in. We were like four and a half, five weeks in. He's like, okay. So he gets my timing, gets the other guy. They laid the track down. They put the camera down. He's still following me. There's nobody else in the room. Everybody's still in makeup and breakfast and whatever. Everybody comes in. We're ready to go, and Ron Maxwell says, uh, okay, this is going to be a long couple of days. Take our time. We got to get – okay. You know, let's rehearse. And I went, oh, no, let's just shoot it. And this is film. This isn't video. This is film. Yeah. And he's looking, and the camera guy goes, he's got it. Don't worry. It'll be fine. Yeah. And Ron goes, okay. 
we just about finished two, the two days of planned shooting by the end of lunch. Wow. That's, so now that's impressive. We're at the, we're at the end of lunch <laughs> and I, I never sat in my trailer. You know, I always sat more or less with production. Right. So I'm sitting, you know, cat just crossed away from Ron and he's talking to the cameraman and, and the other guy, what they're going to plan to do after lunch. And I said, listen, why don't we just finish what we're doing? Send, send the B guy outside up on top of the rail the walkway and shoot the kids that are supposed to be here, you know, all the reaction shots. And then we can, and we'll be done, you know, with this scene, we could just go out. He's looking at me. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, that's what we did. Uh, was know. it, was it easier for you? Like, did you do any, cause you're pretty good at reading scripts, memorizing your lines at such a young age. Was it easier for you to like, after doing the toy to Kidco, like to do improvise? improv any of your lines or did you straight sure yeah no there was stuff that i improvised yeah you know yeah. um i tried not to do it with the the girls that were my sisters you right. know the younger sisters um the older the older girl uh elizabeth gorsey uh played june my older sister in the thing she was pretty good she could bounce yeah. you know the younger girls i didn't want to do that too you yeah, know i just figured I'll, I'll try and stay as close to whatever because I don't want to, I don't want to trip them up because it's just going to take longer, right? You know, especially if it's on film, right? Yeah, and Liz and I were just bouncing, and that was fine. And then anything with the parents went. Charlie Hallahan, who played my dad, was great. You know, he was the one who got me past my my little hiccup in dialogue in in the courtroom scene. He helped me out with that. Um, but everybody else, I mean, we just bang, bang, bang. I mean, you know, we were shooting at like three to one ratio or less, which is phenomenal. Yeah. And then that brings me to the a Christmas story. A couple questions on that. Did you know that was going to be like such a massive hit that nobody everyone... knew? Yeah. Nobody knew. It, it was it's it's a labor of love film for for Bob Clark. He wanted to do it for a decade, but yeah. nobody would give him the money. Yeah. They just had no faith in the film. And uh, the year before, of course, he had done Porky's and it made so much money. That now he had the juice and he had the power yeah. and they wanted him to do Porky's too. And he said, no problem. Right after I do my film, a Christmas story. Yeah. And they're like, what's that? He goes, this is the film I want to make. And well, no, we'd rather you do pre-production or pre-production on Porky's too. He's like, I don't have to, I know what I'm doing there. He goes, I can't shoot it during the winter. I'm going to shoot Christmas story, January, February. I'll be done by the middle of March at the latest. I can start shooting May 1st, you know, springtime, yeah. shooting uh, Porky's too. And they fought him with the budget and everything else. And I mean, there's no way anybody could have ever thought that that would have been anything more than just a nice little small family movie. That's all, yeah. you know. Now, I heard like that was a role that uh, you didn't audition. It was just given to you by your, by your juice. Did you think you were going to be the star? Did you know you were going to be the... I knew nothing. Oh, really? I knew nothing. I, As they say, I knew zero. I mean, we're talking nothing. Easiest audition ever in the history of mankind. Yeah. The toy had come out in the theaters. I had gotten home. Did the, I'm doing PR, whatever. And I get the, the call in to see Bob Clark for Christmas Story. I go in. It's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We talk for about 15 minutes. How are you? Nice to meet you. Blah, 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 whatever. 
He's like, you know, I missed lunch, man. You want to go downstairs and have a hot dog? We were in Manhattan in New York. You're asking a 14-year-old kid, does he want to have a hot dog? Sure, absolutely. We go downstairs. We have a hot dog. We have you or Pepsi on. I think a Pepsi. And we talked for a few minutes, went back upstairs. And Bob said, listen, it was really nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in. Ten minutes later, I'm at my agent's office. She says, what do you do? I told her exactly what we did. She goes, well, I guess you did it right. You got the movie. Great. Cool. They sent me the script. You know, within three, four days, I had the script. And I had a month almost to get it down. Well, I'm the lead kid in the toy. I Okay, I'm a lead kid in Kidco. Okay, fine. I'm, I memorized the whole script, but I memorized Ralphie. Right. You know, nobody says anything. We get all the way to the read-through in Toronto. And uh, we're all sitting there, and Bob comes, okay, you know, uh, uh, RD, you're going to play Schwartz, and uh, Ian, you're going to play Randy, and Scott, you're playing Flick, and R how, what, who, who, what? So I turned around, my father's sitting behind me, and I just, and he's like, I don't know. So I quickly go through the script. Flick had 16 lines, and they hired me for five weeks. Yeah. So there's a little posting note in front of me. So I wrote on the posting note 16 lines, five weeks, vacation. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I handed it to my father, and he laughed, whatever. We get through the read through. And I go over to Bob and I'm like, hey, Bob, you know, I was leading this. I'm the lead. Now he goes, listen, I, I, I'm figuring I'm Rafi. He goes, nope, you're flick. You're absolutely flick. There's no question that's you. You know, uh, you'll be great. And I said, but it's such a, you know, it's a small role. He goes, it's not the size of the role, but what you make out of it. And you're going to be great. Just trust me. Okay. Yeah. I and mean, I worked one day a week. <laughs> you know. Well what and I'm, free I'm freezing my tushy off in Ohio and Canada, <laughs> working one day a week. Thank God we had video games and pinball machines and all that. Um, I was going to ask about the weather. Like, how cold was it? Uh, in Canada, where the, the the scene is, the tongue and the flagpole, yeah. uh, it was anywhere between 22 and 25 below zero with the windshield. Ouch. Yeah. And we had to do it. We had to do it twice. We twice? did it, My first day of shooting, we actually did it. And they underdeveloped the film. It was a new lab in Toronto. Wow. So they had to redo. We had to redo that scene later on. I actually stayed an extra like five days. Oh, you mean like the film got frozen or? Holy no, the holy. film. They just it, they just underdeveloped it. It came out dark. Oh, wow. So, so was the second day a little warmer or no? The second time we did. Oh, no, it was just as cold, man. <laughs> it was just it was brutal. It was brutal. <laughs> You know, two days of torture right there. Yeah. But listen, I mean, I was getting paid, you know, and, and you're doing the job and it is what it is. And OK, fine. You know, uh, I mean, the fun again in looking in retrospect and looking back. OK. Bob really didn't know. How it was going to go, because it just says that in the script, it says flick sticks tongue to pole. And that's it. That's yeah. all that's there. So. He needed to find a kid who could, you know, ad-lib, who could improv. And because of my thing with Richard and he saw it, okay, fine. He figured I could do it. So he gets me up there and I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, do what comes natural. If I don't like it, I'll tell you. 
I said, okay. So I came up with all the shtick, all that stuff, the, you know, don't leave me, come back and stuck, stuck, all that crap. <laughs> so he goes, he goes, it was great. Do it, do it the same way. Okay. So I did it the same way three or four times. He goes, you know what? Let's try one bigger. Just give me more. Just really let it go. I said, okay. So I just, I went, he goes, nope, nope. You were right. You had it the first time. Just do what you did the whole day. Okay. <laughs> so literally I did what I did the whole day and it was just me improv in the whole thing yeah. but bob knew that i could do it yeah you know and see that that's uh that's pretty cool when a talented guy sees a talented kid with that ability to do it you know that's a lot of trust in there you know uh yeah i mean before we i mean before we started shooting the first you know a couple days before that bob and i had many chats about different things you know and he's like, so, you know, I knew you, sh you know, I saw the movie, you know, you and Richard. And did you guys talk, you know, away from the set? I said, of course, you know, did you talk to Gleason? Oh, absolutely. You know, and that was what you talk about and this and that and the jokes and all the other things. So he kind of got a feeling that he knew to just basically throw the fishing rod and let it go. You well, know, have, and that's, that's what we did. I have two more questions for you because I want to respect your time. I know you have an early flight. Uh, I'll start with the easy question. Who is the most intimidating actor you've ever uh, worked with? Not by like by the scenes, but someone who likes like, oh, my God, I got to step up to this guy's level. Um, I mean, realistically, it's Gleason. Yeah. OK, I mean, that's really Richard Pryor. It's funny because when you see you have different thought processes about people. I knew Richard from 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 uh, Silver Streak, you know, um, and uh, uh, Bingo Long, uh, and 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 uh, oh God, him on the tr Silver Streak. Okay, so I know Silver Streak, I know Bingo Long, and you know, so he's the comic guy, he's the fun guy, right? Then I see Gleason, but Gleason is so much older, and it's the Jackie Gleason show, The Honeymooners. You know, to me, and Smokey and the Bandit, and I'm a Smokey and the Bandit junkie like I am for Airplane. I knew every line of dialogue in the whole movie. Uh. So when I when I got the film, uh, talking to Richard Donner in, in California, he said to me, okay, what do you know about Jackie Gleason? And I just let it go, you know. Uh. I just started doing Smokey and the Bandit. He goes, okay, no problem. So we got down to Louisiana. Now I'm going to meet Gleason the day before I start shooting. And before even I said hello, Richard Donner says to me, Scotty, go over to Mr. Gleason and do that uh, thing you did for me in the office, the sheriff thing. Okay. So I walked over to Gleason and even standing up, I was shorter than him, you know, that, you know, uh, sitting down. And I started doing Smokey and the Bandit. And I, you know, first thing was, you know, there's no way, no way that you could come from my loins. Well, he starts, he's, and I did the whole thing and he starts laughing and he goes, uh, so that's it. That's all, you know, I said, I said, oh no, I know more. He's like, well, go ahead. So he's calling me out. Go ahead. Well, I did eight minutes of him doing Sheriff Buford T justice. He loved it. Yeah. So it's intimidating from the fact that you're doing Gleason to Gleason, you know, <laughs> But at the same time, I was in I was in my wheelhouse. I mean, yeah. this is what I loved. And it brought his 
hatred. I'll say it that way. He hated working with kids and animals. So it brought his hatred level down from way up here to way down here. And he's like, I mean, you know, I mean, his assistant told me later, he's like, oh, no, kid, that first day you had him. You had him in the palm of your hand. He absolutely adored you. So it made him feel okay about working with me and talking to me. And so there was this this wacky mutual interest thing of him wanting to talk to me because I was such an enormous fan, but he knew I wanted to learn from him. Yeah. You know, I would ask him questions about everything that you couldn't even imagine, you know, working on the honeymooners. But before that, you know, what was it like growing up in Brooklyn in the thirties and all that kind of stuff. And did you know George M. Cohan? I mean, I asked him all kinds of stuff that I wanted to know. Right. So he knew I wanted to learn from him and it made it very easy, but he was, he was very intimidating on the set. It was, you could call him great one. Or Mr. Gleason. Yeah. That's what everybody called him. There was a wardrobe guy called him Jackie. Two days later, the guy was gone. Wow. Thank God you, you didn't know. make that mistake, right? No, no, no. But uh, And again, uh, it was a year and a half later, something like that. Maybe close to two years later. I did a commercial for Nerf Pool. You know, the Nerf toys, the yeah, sponges, yeah. whatever. So they had made a pool game. You attach it to the end of your table and you couldn't scratch the table, but you could shoot pool. And in the commercial, it's me with a grandfather and a grandmother. The grandfather was Minnesota Fats because he was kind of like their spokesman. The grandmother is Joyce Randolph. Whoa. From the Honeymooners. So we yeah. all have this Gleason thing. <laughs> so it was, it was right at lunchtime when somebody told Joyce that I was in the toy with Gleason. And she walked over to my dad and she said, I have a question. After all these years, is he still the same asshole that he was all those years ago? <laughs> she really <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly what she said. Is he still the same asshole he was 35 years ago? Oh, yeah. You know. Uh, so, I mean, Gleason, he was, he was a tough old bird, but we got along great and you know, he uh, he and I got along just marvelous. He taught me how to shoot pool at the house, yeah, the Louisiana house where the pool table was and all. He taught me how to shoot pool in our downtime, you know, wow. told me the stories and, and gave me advice. And if I asked something, that was the one thing I will say about that set. Being on the toy, there was not a person who treated me like a kid because yeah. I didn't act like one. And I asked questions. It's my first movie. Everything. I mean, from the sound guy, Gene Canamesa, who did all the Mel Brooks movies, Blazing Saddles and all that stuff. The boom operator, Raul Bruce. I still remember all their names. I'd say, hey, I'm not in this scene. Can I hold the boom? Sure. Awesome. You know, can I, can I, can I wire somebody up? Sure. The lighting guys, the tech guys. They all treated me like an adult and they were willing to give me a free education. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, my last question for you is probably like, uh, it probably has multiple uh, answers, but what advice would you say for child actors who uh, are trying to make a comeback, but they weren't necessarily involved in it childly? You know what I mean? Like they didn't take their acting seriously 
and now they're taking it seriously the older they get. Like, what's how do you get over that step? You know, I, I kind of explain it this way. You can be the greatest actor on planet Earth, be it Humphrey Bogart, Montgomery Clift. You know, you want to say Tom Cruise is a great actor or Denzel Washington or Gary Cooper, whoever right. it is. You can be the greatest actor on the planet, Pacino, De Niro, whoever. If the guy sitting or the woman across the table doesn't see it, you're, you, don't, you don't get a job. Yeah. You know, I could be looking at you and I could say, you know, listen, I, 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 you, you did a great reading. I'm just looking for a guy with brunette hair, with, with dark hair. I'm sorry, man. I'm looking for a guy with blue eyes. I'm sorry. That's really what it is. My advice is just keep going. Right. You know, if, if you if you have some talent, hopefully at some point somebody will give you the opportunity to use the talent. I tell everybody, get an education, you know, uh, something that you can fall back on. You know, 99, 99.5% of the actors are out of work anyway, and they're going, you know, yeah, you know, I did this TV movie of the week, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, whatever. Um, so your hamburger, you wanted fries with that, right? You wanted ketchup? Yeah. I mean, because that they got to make a living. You got to pay rent. You got to have bills, you know. Uh, it's the same with comedy. I mean, I, you know, I make a good living doing comedy, but I have a day job right now, you know, too. Yeah, so. you know, it's... Well, again, comedy is a little bit different. That just it, – it takes connections, luck, and talent. Yeah. You know, if you're talented, you're going to make the connections and you're going to be successful. That's how comedy goes. It's different. You're in control of you when you're up on the stage. Yeah. You know, when you go to an audition, yes, you're in control of you, but whether or not you get the job is up to somebody else. Right. That's true. Yeah. You know, if you're funny – Somebody's going to give you time, you know, your six minutes on stage or whatever it is at that club. Um, and you build it up to whatever, you know, yeah. the, the, there are comedians I know that have been doing it for 30, 40 years. You know, John Campanera, Harry Basil, you know, uh, oh, God, uh, Mike Marino from New Jersey, one, yeah. a fr one friend of mine. Uh, I mean, they've been at it for decades and they're funny. They get bookings all over the country. They can make a good living doing it. But they're talented. Yeah. If you're not funny, you're not funny. I mean, Jim Carrey, we we know is the movie star, Jim Carrey. That wasn't always Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey walked into, you know, an open mic night and started. You know, yeah. within a couple of years, he was a paid regular at the comedy store. When I worked there, he worked there five days a week. Yeah. You know, but he wasn't Jim Carrey yet. Yeah. It took Ace Ventura and the mass to take him to that other level because he was that funny. Right. You know, um, Sam Kinison, you know, short career because of, you know, him being, you know, killed in the car crash. But he was great. Yeah. There was nothing he couldn't do. You know, uh, Andrew Dice Clay, another one, you know, pounded away, pounded away. And when he hit it, he hit it. Yeah. But you got tons of guys that are, you know, okay. You know, on a scale of one to ten, they're five and a half. Yeah. They're funny, but they're not great. Yeah. You know, so you just got to keep plugging away at it. I mean, you know, it, kids that get in the show business, it's like, I, you know, I, it, it's, it's a multi leveled answer because it's not only them, it's their parents, it's the time, it's the money that's involved. 
it's the you don't ever know if you're going to get a job, right? You know, and you have to love it. Yeah, you know, nobody ever forced it. I, I'll say it this way: nobody ever forced me to go to an audition and do anything other than one time in my life. One audition in my life, I basically was forced to go to. On the way to New York, we were on a New Jersey turnpike. Dad's driving. We got just by Newark Airport, and it was the day that Thurman Munson was killed in a plane crash. Wow. And he was my favorite player on the Yankees. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the car crying from Newark Airport to go through the Lincoln Tunnel to get into Manhattan. I, re I didn't want to do the audition. And my dad's like, dude, we made it all this way. Come on. That was the only day I didn't really want to go to an audition, but that's the situation. Did you book but, that that job? No. Oh. No. Yeah. No. But I mean, it's sort of irrelevant on the thousands of auditions you go to. It's like, okay, fine, you know. Yeah. And the casting director I had seen many times, and they knew something was wrong. They said, what's wrong? And I said, you know, my favorite player, Thurman Munch of the Yankees, killed in a plane crash. It was on the radio. You know, and I was still crying. And they're like, oh, man, that sucks. I'm a Yankee fan too, you know, whatever. <laughs> what can you do? You know, what can you do? Um, but other than that, nobody had to force me to do anything. I went in lock, stock, and barrel loving every minute of it. You know, while it's work. Yeah. And it is work. It was fun. I had fun every job I did, you know, be it a commercial or, or the TV movies of the week or whatever it was, you know, I had a blast, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's all in the perspective and how you look at it. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you right now, I never thought of it as a career. There was yeah. no such thing as the brand. None of that crap. <laughs> I was going there and I'm working and I'm having a blast for as long as it goes is how long it goes, you know, and who the hell knew that all these years later, you know, I'd have a statue in Indiana of me with the, the flagpole thing and a monopoly game and an action figure and lunch boxes and all this crap and stuff and autographs. Who knew? Yeah. Like those are the cool, cool things of hard work. You know? Yeah, but I mean, there was there were times. I mean, I couldn't. There were times when I moved to California, I couldn't even get an agent. Uh, you know, uh, book. You know, and I booked a couple jobs here and a couple jobs there, and you don't get anything, and you got to figure out how to make a living. But I knew how to make a living. I, I had learned so many different things along the way. You know, including my father's business. My father was a window cleaner. Uh, I learned how to wash windows when I was eight, nine, ten years old. So I mean, you know, for a short time in California, I ran a little window cleaning business. Well, when you know? this pen when this pandemic's over, let let's get together and do comedy together. Let's like do a little show. You know what I mean? Let's bring out your skills again. You know, once in a while, I, I let it fly, and it's uh, it's quite fun. It just depends on uh, what I'm doing, who I'm doing in front of. You know, huh? I mean, I I I do a lot of things that realistically nobody else can do and i don't mean that from i don't mean that from a skill level right i mean from what can come out of my mouth <laughs> okay i can say any joke that i want because if anybody knows my background they know the films that i've done the people that i've worked with there's nobody who's going to say if i if i say an off-color joke they're going to call me racist right it's not going to happen you'd have to be an idiot you know, Richard Pryor was my muse, my one of my best friends, my teacher and everything else. So 
I, I, I was going to do a bit and I kept trying to come up with the opening of how to just break the ice. Right. And uh, I figured it out and I called Richard's daughter and I said, okay, here's the joke. This is my opener. She's like, okay, you know, how you doing everybody? Great to see you, whatever. Da, 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 da. I said, listen, let's just get it out of, out of the way. Let's get the elephant out of the room. Has anybody else in here bought a black man beside me? Now, <laughs> nobody else can tell that joke. Right. <laughs> you know, they know the toy. They know the movie. They know what it is. Okay. So it was dead. It was great because it was dead silence on the phone for a couple seconds. And I'm like, are you there? And she goes, if my father was alive and you did that in front of him, he might have pissed himself, but he definitely would have fallen off the couch. <laughs> you got to do that. Yeah. So I was at a film festival and just these are how things happen. I'm kind of off to the right of, of the stage and the people to the left of me were all black and the people kind of dead center to the right were all white. Well, I told that joke. All the white people were like, they all sat, they were just ghost faced. They were like, huh? <laughs> the black people? We're absolutely cracking up, high-fiving each other. They they thought it was one of the funniest things they ever heard. I When I got done, I got off the stage. They're high-fiving me after the show. They all had to take pictures. They're like, dude, that's one of the funniest freaking jokes we ever heard in our life. Yeah. They got the joke. So I make jokes like that, you know, that are not PC. And I tell people, listen, if you get insulted, then you don't know who my muse is, my mentor. Yeah, And, you know, get a life. This is comedy. It's supposed to be funny. We're just making jokes, folks. Exactly. Nobody's talking about real life here, okay? Yeah. You know? And uh, so it gives me the opportunity to do stuff like that. And, and I love it because yeah. I grew up with comedy. I grew up being funny. I didn't grow up with the PC culture. Yeah. I didn't grow up with, you know cancel culture and pc culture and all this nonsense and i'm like listen don rickles told racist jokes for 60 freaking years yeah but yet people knew one of his best friends is sammy davis jr people knew he's sinatra jerry lewis dean martin the jews the blacks the italians he had them covered he could tell any joke he wants yeah and nobody nobody called him racist yeah you know, say so it's like you have to understand comedy is comedy. It's a show. This is entertainment. If you don't like it, change the channel. Don't go to that person's show. But if exactly. there's other people who do like it, enjoy it. God bless. Let them go. Yeah. Well, Scott, where can the folks at home follow you? I, uh, do you have a cameo, Twitter, something like that? I, I have a cameo. That's uh, my name, Scott Schwartz. Um, and then, uh, on Facebook, I'm Scott Schwartz actor. That's the page to go to and follow me there. All right. Well, Scott, I had a blast talking to you. I love you very much. I've always respected you. Thank and you. Thank you so much for taking the time during these crazy times to zoom with me. We figured it out, but I, I had fun. Yeah. Now, you know, it's, uh, it's a crazy time for sure. You know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We just got to kind of hang in there. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of people going through crap and I'm one of them, yeah. you know, life is not all, you know, roses and candies folks, you know, uh,
but we just got to keep it together and hang in there and put up with all the rest of this nonsense. And soon, hopefully, we'll be semi back to normal, whatever yeah. that may be. And we could do comedy together. Oh, God, <laughs> do anything. You know, I was actually uh, I was in New Jersey last month and was with Mike Marino. And we were talking about doing some stuff and, you know, I'm putting together one little thing and then we're talking about doing something else, you know. So, cool. you know, whatever it is that you do, try and enjoy each day. And I say this not only to you, but anybody who's watching this thing, you know, just try and enjoy every day because tomorrow is not a given. You know, it, life is too damn short to take it all so damn seriously. And there are too many people who take it too damn seriously. Oh. Just enjoy, have fun, a smile, a joke. Tell somebody you care about, you love them or you care about them or you dig them or whatever, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I miss a lot of the people that are gone that I worked with that I care about, but they, they taught me a lot of good lessons, you know, and the one is you know, life's too damn short. That's true. Well, we'll leave it on there, Scott. I love you, buddy. And I'll talk to you later. You got it, my friend. Be well. Okay. Take care, everybody. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks again, guys. Subscribe, brain review. That was my interview with Scott Schwartz. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again, Scott. You got it. Bye. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Razor Riffs. I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there. www.stereo.com slash KeithRaza. And on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash KeithRaza. If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it, and we'll rift with you again soon.